Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I am Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. I host the Hoffman Show 3 to 6 each and every weekday on the Team 980. Logan contributor to that show and co-host of me on Countdown to Kickoff after he played 10 years in the NFL, including six for the Washington Commanders. Uh, Logan, today we dive into the film of the tie. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> the tie. 20-20, uh, to 20, Commanders and Giants, obviously, on Sunday. Uh, by the way, the game in a couple of weeks on Sunday night football, so get ready to see each other for an afternoon edition of Countdown to Kitchen. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think our, our typical morning bagel spot will be closed by then. I, don't even I know. Think get, it's a good bagel. I really look forward to that. That's probably my most my biggest disappointment about being in the uh I mean, the with the bye week and Sunday night football, we got two weeks with no bagels. Two weeks, no bagels. It's a tough deal. Yeah, I don't I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Move it back. Move it back, <laughs> NFL. No, we need our bagels. Uh, but anyway, uh, apropos of none of that. Let's dive into the game and then maybe to zoom, out, zoom out a little bit, scope out a little bit and talk about what you would do as like approaching a self-scout. And then we can get into more detail on that maybe on Friday because it's such a weird time for a buy. Like teams often do massive self-scouts on like, you know, week seven, week eight, you know, and it's helpful because the second half of your season uh, can be changed by that. But here with it by being in week 14, there's only so much you can do over the last four weeks. And and also, especially from a personnel standpoint, being this far post trade deadline, um, like you, there's, there's not a whole lot you can do uh, besides tweak a little bit because uh, you already know so much about your team and you only have four games to go. So we'll save that though for the end of the podcast. Now that I've set Logan up, I see the wheels turning in his head, but we're going to save that discussion for the end. All right. Offensively Heineke throws for 275, two touchdowns. Uh, that's, that's all great. Uh, but how did he actually play on Sunday? Because it feels like a lot of people, like, I, I will say this. It feels fan base reaction like they lost. Like, the the, mm. the the commentary is very critical. The go back to Carson crowd is being very loud. There's a lot of, a lot of people that are upset, and I kind of don't feel like that's warranted after watching it, but I don't know. When you watch the tape, where are you at? Yeah, I mean, 
that, that is surprising that it's so boisterous, especially after the stat line that he posted. I know that quarterback play is not just related to stats. And I think when you look at it, one of my big criticisms, and it's every week is a criticism, but this week especially, is the turnover-worthy plays were very high this week. I think um, I think he had five, I want to say, four or five. And they were all kind of very fortuitous not to be picks. But I think if you're going to look at that stuff, you also got to look at this. And he had some – the other thing he did, which was a little frustrating, was he misses Logan Thomas – in the red zone on the first drive or uh, the second drive that would have been an easy touchdown for Logan Thomas. Great play design, wide open, very, very frustrating. He misses Jahan in, in a red zone situation um, that would have been a touchdown. But again, the pockets kind of falling down around him, those types of things. Uh, so I, I understand the criticisms. I, there is holes in his game, but I expect to see holes in his games. And I think if you look at some of the stuff that he does to elevate this team, I think you kind of say, well, I get why he's still starting, right? I understand why he's still starting. And I look at, just as a perfect example, of the touchdown to Terry in the first quarter. Um, he does an excellent job. Uh, Lucas kind of gives up a, uh, of a not, a not a messy win, but a, a quick pressure. He does an excellent job stepping up, um, kind of an off-platform throw, flicks it over the uh, Dexter Lawrence's head. Terry makes an excellent catch, obviously, but that is a play that was not existent with Terry. Uh, with um, Carson. Carson yeah and then obviously there's the play late in the game the fourth and four which I think everybody's been talking about I think he actually misses his first read I think the ball should go to Terry Terry's open ball should be out but you know if you're going to make a mistake make a mistake like this roll to your left kind of rolling away from the rotation of your arm excellent throw to Curtis who on the scramble drill gets open that kind of stuff he had another miss to um to Jahan but I think that again is pressure related so I just look at that and I say, man, like he did a lot of good things. And I think um, another criticism I hear is that, oh, he took a lot of sacks. And I think he was responsible in some situations for inviting pressure. But also I think Wink Martindale, we'll talk, this should be a whole segment, Craig, so we can save the, the, the deep dive on this for later in the pod. But Wink Martindale did an excellent job of scheming up pressures and finding excellent matchups. Like that was the thing that jumps off the screen when you watch the tape. Well, let's just, let's just go into it now because I mean it affects okay. the entire offensive breakdown. Yeah. Like, what what were they facing? And also, obviously, we'll spend some time over the next two weeks, like talking about how they can create a better protection package moving forward. But it was pretty clear that they struggled with some of that stuff, and including in key situations, like the the sack they give up to to Thibodeau uh, in the last yeah. drive they have of the game, like absolutely murders them. Um, and, and so, yes, Taylor deserves credit for avoiding a lot. I mean. The number of times I'm, as I'm watching the game back and you see like, oh, wow, he got drilled on that yeah. play. Um, he took a ton of hits, a ton of hits. So even though he it, it really should be looked at as he only took five sacks, not right. wow, he took five sacks. Like the number of times he gets the ball out right before he's getting waylaid is immense in this game. And so what I guess it, it it's on Martindale. And then, you know, is that. How much of that is an indictment of the plan that Washington had to try to protect their quarterback? Yeah, I think that's that's a good question. So let, let's just talk about it. Let's talk about that sack, the Kayvon Thibodeau sack at the end of the game. Um, and it would be easier if we had like a whiteboard or a demo screen. So you guys have to use your mind's eye and listen to this. I'm going to do a breakdown for this for take uh, for the for command center. And then on Instagram, I'll try to get that up on Wednesday or Thursday. So this will kind of be talked about there. So basically what you're having is you, they get an empty. And so as we talked about in the pregame show, there's two ways to handle pressure, right? One is to get an empty, spread everybody out, designate the known rushers, and 
get your protection called correctly based on that because the structure of the defense becomes very, very clear, right? The other way is to go max protection. In this case, in the Kayvon Thibodeau sack, there is a back in the backfield, but to me, it's a five-man protection. It's an empty protection because the back's free-releasing. So this is really cool. This is like some really detailed football stuff. They take Gibson from the offensive left, motion him to the backfield. Number 44, the defender, the defensive safety for the Giants, tracks him into the box. You can tell he starts communicating with the nickel and the other linebacker in the box, and they exchange responsibilities. So Gibson lines up on the off offensive right. The defense comes out of this little powwow, and 53 is on the uh, defensive left, offensive right, matching Gibson now. So all of a sudden, basically what they've done is they've changed who's blitzing. So the safety, 44, and the nickel are lined up to the offensive left, okay? And basically, 53 is a big, 51 is a big, 97 is a big. Those are defensive linemen. They're all to the offensive right. So in this five-man protection, you are going to send your center, your slide, to the offensive right. So you're going to have three guys for three, and you're going to have two for two on the backside in a man protection look. You call that the man side is the left side here. Wink Martindale did an excellent job of dictating the direction of the slide here, saying, I know you're going to slide to the right, and I know how to overload your pressure to the left because you're two on three, essentially, in this look. So our protection rules for the commanders are if, if you get a squeeze, if you get an interior pressure, right, if there's a blitz in the A-gap, right, and there's a defensive tackle inside of the tackle, the tackle has to squeeze it. So Wink Martindale brings the nickel and the safety in the A and B-gap. Charles Leno has to squeeze that. That is the rule of the protection. That is the rule of the protection. Five, Kayvon Thibodeau is unblocked in this protection by rule. And people say, why are you not blocking a defensive end? That's stupid. I would much rather not block a defensive end than someone running directly at my quarterback in the A-gap. It just gives you a, a beat of time, right? So in this look, he is taking a two-man protection, and he's breaking the rules by saying, you squeeze versus A-gap pressure, we'll squeeze this. I'm going to have the end come off the edge. And he did that multiple times. So he's dictating the side of the slide. He's dictating the direction the center's going, and he's overloading your man protection side and letting Kayvon Dipito run free off the edge. He yeah. did an excellent job of that all day. I'm I'm watching it now on the All-22, and it's, I mean, it's pretty stunning to watch because it's, they have enough to block it. It's five on five, um, except for they don't because the guys go the quote-unquote wrong way. The question is then, like, if they got that multiple times in the game, how did they not adjust and what it, what would the adjustment be? And is that the kind of thing you can do in the middle of a game? Is that the kind of thing you can adjust to? Because man, you know, Hey, this is our last chance to win the football game. Also, if we give up a safety, we lose the football game mm -hmm. It's a real bad time to get exploited by something that's been happening all game. But that's easy for me to say, sitting here talking to a microphone. And so it wasn't the same blitz every single time, but it was the same theory of blitz, right? dictate the slide overload the man side and it, you know in this look it's a nickel and a safety in the a and b gap here but there was another time where it's a three technique and they blitz the middle linebacker you got to squeeze that cave on comes free right there's another look where they overload the slide to the right and they pinch the defensive end and they blitz the a gap and the nickel back comes off so they they just took that same principle and did it over and over and over again from different things on this look specifically to me this is one of those ones where a veteran quarterback gets you in a better situation, a guy who knows what's going on. When they come out of that powwow and 44 no longer matches the back, I know, and 53, the defensive end, goes to the side of the back, I know that he's he is now blitzing because he would match the side of the back. Because what if, in this look, Gibson's to the right, 44's to the left, 
If Gibson were to free release, that would be a touchdown, right? Because no one's going to match Gibson. So who's matching Gibson? It has to be 53. I know 53 is not rushing. There's two defensive players to that side, defensive linemen. There's three defensive players to the left. I need to come up and be like, hey, guys, let's work the slide to the left and then go back and do my cadence. Now, is that challenging? Yes. Is that something that um, in terms of mechanics do they have built in? I have no idea. But the way to stop this pressure is to send the slide the other way. And to me, the, the center can't necessarily see that, but you bring the motion in. The quarterback should be able to identify and discern that and get the protection called the right way. That is fascinating. Uh, that is something you're not getting on another podcast. Uh, that is why you listen to Take Command. That is why you subscribe to Take Command. So if you are listening right now and you are not subscribed, go hit the button and you will get more insight like this on a regular basis. Um, that So the other part of that is Nick Martin is the center here. Um, mm, how, much, yeah. how much did Larson going out affect that and then how much did um or like how how much do they need to hope that either sam cosme or trey turner is available to play right guard so that schweitzer can kick inside the center room would that help things yeah i mean the, the answer is i don't know like in this look specifically i think it's hard for the center to see this because think about the center doesn't see the motion he doesn't see who's coming in with the motion he doesn't get that benefit that the quarterback does so well, just, I think just to pause for one second though because in this in this offense, the way I understand it, you would know yeah. better than me, but like, doesn't the center make most of those calls? He does. He does. That is true. And that's, I talked to someone today in the building. And I was like, you know, could, if the quarterback wanted to, could he switch this? And he said, if he wants to, he can. So obviously there is, that's not how they do it normally, but there is that capability according to this individual I talked to. Now he might've just been saying something to say something, but that not having the quarterback have that ability seems asinine to me so i right. i trust that he has some level of flexibility and if you watch the film closely there's a couple times where taylor is doing something i don't know if he's changing protection or alerting hot but he's directing some type of pre-step traffic right so i would imagine there's an element of that so on this look i i don't think nick does anything incorrect there are four bigs there are four defensive linemen to the right of the center i also think they're sliding to number 97 who's their best interior pass rusher to get double teams on him right because that's what you get with the slide it's the same thing you do with Aaron Donald. When you have an elite interior defensive player, that's one of the benefits, right? That's a, that's a benefit. So um, the, those are some factors that dictate the slide. I think everything I see on this play seems like it's right. The problem is, is I think we can talk about the other solution in terms of max protecting in a second. The problem is Wink was just able to do this very, very consistently. And it's crazy because the protection plan actually works really well. Like there's a play earlier in the game where Terry's running like a big speed out, right? And they bring his own pressure. So the defensive end drops underneath it. And they do the same thing. Wink does the same thing. They overload the man side. But because the defensive end is running from so far away, Taylor's actually able to work through his whole progression. He gets hit, but the ball needs to be out quick. You need to know you're hot there. That, that, that's on Taylor a little bit. But the, the, the theory, the practice of it works really well. It's just about can you eliminate that moving forward because it is – it is catastrophic, you know. If 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 he if he is if Wink Martindale is able to constantly overload your man side and your protection, like you can't pass protect, you're going to have a game like this where you give up five sacks. So you said a more veteran quarterback would potentially be able to see this. There's always the thought that you're going to give up more sacks with Wentz than Heineke. How much? How much further damage did Taylor afford to the point that that would actually hold up, or is 
you know, against this defense, is is it actually reversed because of the knowledge that Carson has and, and the amount of time he spent in the league? And so I will say this, like w- Wink deserves a ton of credit. And it's yeah. really easy. And it's really easy with the clicker in my hand to be like, man, Taylor should have done this. This seems really obvious. But in real time with real bullets, hard to check. And also Wink is really good at like kind of he's he he plans pressures for protections. He doesn't do it the other way around. He doesn't just throw pressures and hope it beats protections. He's coaching up his pressures to beat your protections. And people say, how do you know that? And it's like just watching him, watching him in this game, you can tell. Like understanding this team's protection, you can tell that he studied it and he knows where the holes are. So I think that's one of the advantages of having the bye week this week, I think, is because now you say, okay, well, this is what this is Wink's plan last week. How do we shore this up? Can we leave a back end maybe? Can we dictate the slide in a different way? Because there's a couple of times where I think just on default, the slide should go the other way, right? But because of whatever their rule is, you know, they, they're going to the three big guys. They're, um, you know, they're going to 97. Whatever the rule that dictated their slide was this week, Wink was able to exploit it. So how do we keep him out of that? How do we keep ourselves out of that situation? You know, staying on schedule with the run game is one. Being more efficient on first, second down is like an easy one because he doesn't do that as much in third and like sub four situations. It, it quiets down a little bit. So that was something I think maybe you look at if you're the coach. Um, but back to your question, like I think this is also good beta for Taylor to say, okay, I, I recognize some of these pressures. I recognize some of these looks. And the problem is, is that like when you're playing a guy like Wink, is he knows that. So you, you might flip the protection next week and the three big guys rush and they play a zone drop out of it. And, you know, it doesn't matter if the back's free. It doesn't matter how they match the back. And you get a defensive end hitting you in the air from the other side. So that's the problem of playing a guy like Wink because he's always seemingly one step ahead from a protection standpoint. But the good thing is he doesn't have a full kind of mini bye week because they played on Thanksgiving to kind of prep for you the same way. He's got to prep for Philly and he's got to get back to you. So how much new stuff is he going to be able to put in? Right, and especially when you have the full two weeks to be able to to come up. Obviously, we know Scott Turner's been at his best this season when he has extra time to prepare as well. And it's not like they played terrible offensively. Um, they did no. throw up 20 points and put together a couple of really nice drives. Taylor uh, was able to get Terry McLaurin, one of his, you know, or get Terry McLaurin over 100 yards. John Dotson was more involved than he'd been in a long time. Curtis Samuel um gets some of his touches i want to i want to stop down on samuel for a second because Mm -hmm. to me he's the guy who's the bellwether for the offense he's he's our old canary in the coal mine right it's true Um, and when he gets going this offense is at his bet at its best what can they do to one is, is it smart to get him more involved earlier and if so two how do they go about doing that yeah it's interesting because i feel i feel like now there's like two canaries in the coal mine so to speak i think jahan is another one i think they kind of they kind of cannibalize each other's touches. And I think this week they were like, let's see if we can get Jahan more involved. Like on the first play action pass that he catches, I think it's like the first or second play of the game. Um, you know, Terry's running like a deep post, clearing coverage out off of a play action look, and Jahan's running the high cross, and it's wide open. He's able to make a catch. So obviously that was part of the focus. Like can we get him in one-on-one situations, even his touchdown? You know, I don't know if they knew they were going to play two-man, but basically like working the high-low on the corner and the out, to him over the ball in a man-to-man situation is pretty good, right? So putting him in, in situations where he can get those touches, where he can make those plays, I thought was pretty good. Again, I think it was like the s- second or third catch of the game for him. You know, they're running a play-action pass, and he's running a hitch on the outside. Like, is that the one he catches on his butt? 
yeah, they, they were yeah. making a really big concerted effort to get him more touches. So I think it's either him or Curtis, right? I know that's kind of, it shouldn't be either or, but right now with how few passes that they're calling, right. I think it is. So I think the fact that Jahan got some touches is excellent. And I think that, that Curtis gets some touches late in the game, I think is also very important, right? Because it speaks to his skill set, and, um, you know, they're able to get him some touches in the run game. And again, he's not the best route runner. I think like that's a misconception that I have about him. He's just a good route runner. He's explosive. He's fast. He's quick, but he's much better like catching a short pass and like breaking it for a big game. Jahan is the one who's like better deep stuff. So maybe now that they're both healthy, you know, Scott finding ways to speak to both guys, I think is, um, is maybe something that they're looking at. Yeah. I just, I would love to see him get touches obviously in the run game uh, as part of like, I think they've done a pretty good job of that over the last eight weeks, getting him three to five carries a game. Um, they've stopped having these games where he just doesn't touch it at all. But I do think getting him involved as a wide receiver uh, on some of the quick stuff, right? Like it just, it puts more on the defense's plate. Like he, he is the ultimate weapon. He is yeah. the guy who's going to move around, who's going to dictate a lot of coverage, who is going to mess with the rules because you don't know exactly what to treat him as. You have to be aware of where he is on every single play because he could wind up, you know, running an end around, running a reverse. He could wind up running a quick slant, a quick out, or he could wind up going deep. And that's a really hard guy to account for. And so the, the sooner they establish, yeah, he could do as many of those things as possible, I think is good for them. And he's also a matchup nightmare. And I think that was the thing that was frustrating for me um, especially late in that game, some of the calls that they make is they started to really just figure out, you know, where's 38, uh, who was the practice squad corner that the Giants elevated yeah. on, on on Sunday, and just go, where is he? He's on Curtis. Get Curtis the ball. Where is he? On Jahan. Get Jahan the ball. And that kind of stuff was available to them. It felt like all day when they really wanted it. And so – it, it mixes in with the pressures uh, and, and the ability to actually protect long enough to get the ball out. You obviously don't want to stray too far from your identity, but it just feels like they never quite found that right balance yeah. on Sunday, but they were effective in stretches, which obviously gets them to the 20 points. Um, but it just, they never quite found it. And I feel like that has been like an ongoing season long thing to find the right balance of maximizing these very potent weapons that they have. And this running game, which wants to be at the core of what they do. What's interesting, I feel like this is the first week that they even tried to. Yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah. Like, even like, because they've just shot. been like, screw the passing game.